This morning, I uh, am in the, the privileged position to speak in our eighth week. We are now in our eighth week of the series Rescued, Past, Present, and Future. Um, and so, since we're in the eighth week, you might think that we're probably, since we've already dealt with the past, we've dealt with the present, you might understand that this message is probably about the future. And it is. It's also about the present a little bit, but it's also about the future. So, um, we titled the sermon on uh, Friday, I titled the sermon, The Hope of the Rescued. Um, a few things changed since Friday when I had to hand that title in. Um, and that happens sometimes. So I want you to be aware that if I change things up a little bit from what the title was, that is my doing. That is not the individuals who made the slide for me. Um, sometimes things change. Uh, I typically like to go over my sermon on a Saturday night, probably after most of you are asleep. I will look at it again and change it and, and move it around according to how the Holy Spirit uh, is telling me to do so. And so... Um, the hope of the rescued from suffering to groaning to glory. That's our passage this morning. And um, we'll see then in the, in the text in a moment that there are a few things we must endure before we see the hope of this glory fulfilled. So, um, you know, let me start it off this way. I was approached by a gentleman. Actually, I've been approached by several people over the years. Um, and I was at that time running a construction business um, and this gentleman came to me and asked me um, he was saying man I want to start my own business and I see what you're doing and I just love your position that you're in and you know you get to do whatever you want to and no one tells you what to do and um, you know you just have your own schedule and all that and I'm like wait a minute time out time out time out you see what he was seeing in reality he was seeing the glory of a lot of suffering and groaning. He wasn't seeing the suffering and the groaning that started like 20-some years before that. Because in order to build a business uh, like I was trying to build at that time, there was some suffering involved. And um, since I was dealing with people, there was also some groaning. Um, and so I, I tried talking him out of even thinking in that may manner because he already had a really good paying job and I said why would you want to leave a really good paying job to take on this craziness but you know everybody wants the glory right don't you all want the perfect body don't you want to if I, if I asked you the honest question this morning every one of you when you stand and look in that mirror every last one of you says I wish I could change something some of you more than others I won't look any particular spot Edwin um, but anyway so just but what I discovered is yeah I would like to have a, a, a stronger looking body and all that stuff but guess what I'm not willing to do all the suffering that it takes to get it I realized that I would probably have to do some push-ups and some set-ups and change my eating habits. I probably couldn't eat that ice cream at night like I like to do. I'd have to suffer. And if I had to suffer, when we suffer, there's automatically, it seems like, some groaning that takes place. Is that true just for me, or is that true for you too? 
So the suffering would say, you know, there's this line that says in athletics, they say no pain, no gain. You all know the line, right? So, you know, that is actually what I was going to talk about today with you, is that you all want the glory. Don't you want the glory of the new body? Don't you want the new body? You want the glorified body, don't you? Boy, I sure do. I know when you look at me, it's hard to believe I'd want to exchange this for anything. But I do. I want a new glorified body. Quit laughing, Edwin. So let's read the passage, and then we'll start to break it down, and I'll, I'll show you what it takes and what it means, or I'll try to. Here's the passage. Now, I'm going to, again, my passage, if you saw the, the board up there, said Romans 8, 18 through 25, and that's going to be mainly what I deal with. But as I was looking at this last night, I said, you know, I've got to take you back to verse 16 of chapter 8, and we need to kind of walk through that a little bit first. And I'll, I'll just kind of explain it as I, as I go. The Spirit, and you'll notice that the Spirit in this particular instance, are you looking at your Bible? Are you looking at your electronic device? If you're not, you, you'll not understand what we're doing. The Spirit, and if you look at that Spirit, is a capital S. Spirit. What would that identify, people? It's the Holy Spirit. All right? So the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit Notice our spirit's a little s, because we are not a deity. That we are the children of God. Wait a minute. Want me to read that again? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, that was a little better, not much better. And if we are his children, and I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed, seems like a condition, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. Yes, sir. Sounds like suffering is to be expected if we're wanting glorified. Is that what you see? That's what I see. So now we come into the main part of what I was going to talk about. But I, let me just say this. Think about this now. If you're a child of his, you're an heir. Listen, to be an heir of Larry Howard's, you ain't got much. My poor kids. My poor grandkids. Poor me, because they're going to be poor if they're waiting on me to inherit anything from. But when, you, when he says there's your heirs of God and heirs of Christ, what Christ has, you're going to get. In the Jewish tradition, it was always the firstborn that was the one that got everything from dad. They're the ones that inherited everything. But in the Roman culture, it was equally divided amongst the children. In this passage, he's letting us know that the inheritance that you're going to get is equally divided. Yes, you're going to get everything Christ is getting. Are you awake? Yeah. That should make you shout. You're going to get everything that Christ has. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Equally. <laughs> kind of fun stuff when you read it. So here we go. Let's go to verse 18. 
For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Wow. For in hope, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So there's three things in the passage that I see. One of them is suffering. Suffering seems to be a necessary qualifier for glory. Did you see that as we read it? You probably did. If not, we're going to talk about it a little bit so you will see it. But as I was reading this, I couldn't help but think about Romans 5 that we spoke on a few weeks back. So why don't you go to Romans 5. I, I, I spoke on that about three weeks ago, I think, and uh, hopefully you remembered some of what we talked about. Um, but if not, we're going to cover it a little bit right now, and it'll remind you in case you weren't here. Let's go just to verse 1 and read. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God Amen. through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no peace with God. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this but we also exult in our tribulations. Uh, another word for tribulation would be our sufferings. You agree with that? A tribulation might be a suffering, right? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Yes, sir. And perseverance, proven character. Not just character, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. All right. So I, for I consider, Paul says in verse 18, back to chapter 8, suffering. Suffering came on the scene as a result of sin. And it is the prerequisite to the glory. Yeah. 
what's Paul say here in verse 18? Now look at this. I, I love this. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time, that would be what you're going through right now. The suffering. I consider. What that is is a mathematical equation is what he's doing. It's mathematics. The term for consider is I've calculated out. I've weighed the two out. That the current suffering that you are presented with at this time are not worthy to be compared. Not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now, I like to try and stay in the passage, but since Paul wrote this, and he happened to write a lot of other epistles, he wrote this wonderful little statement in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. I'm going to read it to you. It's a parallel passage, but it's showing you the calculation that he did. Listen to this. For momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. A momentary light affliction. The sufferings that you're going through today are momentary and light compared to the glory to come. See the contrast? Momentary light affliction is producing for us. So in the momentary light affliction that you're going through, it's producing for us a glory far beyond all comparison. It's not even to be considered and compared with the glory. Whatever you're going through, what would be some suffering that we go through? The death of a loved one? You know, in the last... Uh, 90 days, I would say. I have heard and seen so many things that we would call tribulations or sufferings of believers. I dealt with a lady last week who came to me and said her 28-year-old granddaughter has stage 4 cancer in her liver. Now, what do I tell her? Well, don't suffer. Don't groan about that. No, 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 no. Sin has brought suffering into the world. But by comparison, even that suffering is, just doesn't weigh out compared to the glory that will be revealed. And I like this analogy. And since I like it, I'm going to share it with you. The difference is this. Your sufferings that you go through in this life are like a handful of dirt in comparison with the other hand being full of diamonds. The glory that is going to be revealed is like a handful of diamonds. And the sufferings we suffer through are like dirt, a handful of dirt. That's how they're to be compared. Now listen, that does not mean that you don't have pain in the suffering. I get it. We're human we have these bodies that we're stuck in. And when suffering comes along, we're going to feel that. But according to God, suffering comes in chapter 5 again so that you might persevere 
and that you might have proven character and that more hope might come from that. And this glory is not complete in us. It has not been revealed yet. Kind of interesting, isn't it? You go, wait a minute, we're, we're Christians. Yeah, but the glory we're talking about has not been revealed yet. That's according to what the passage says, right? That is to be revealed. So you got a really constant. Right now, I consider that the sufferings of the present time, that means it's going on right now, don't compare to what the glory will be in the future. But I see the suffering as being necessary to, in order to build your, your character in order for you to have the hope that you need. You see that? Come on. The first service was more awake than this. So there's definitely some suffering that takes place in the believer's life. What about the unbelievers? Do they have any suffering? Did you say that there's any suffering going on in the world today? I certainly would. Someone's phone's going crazy. So you, you have suffering going on. But as a believer, that, that suffering has a purpose to it. Whereas an unbeliever, there's really no purpose to it other than just to reveal that there, we have sin in the, in, in the world today and that it changed things. So men suffer. What's some other suffering that goes on? In this passage, in verses 19 through 21, it says that creation is suffering also. Hmm. Verse 19 for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? That's us. We're the sons of God. We're not the son of God. Again, if you look at your passage, if it was the son of God, it wouldn't be plural, and it would be capitalized more than likely to represent the deity of Christ. But this is the sons of God. Did you not become a son of God when you got saved? or a daughter, but we're going to say son because that's what the passage says. Didn't that, isn't that what happened to you when you got saved? You were adopted into the family. Correct? All right, just kind of a, nod your head now and then so I know you're asleep, uh, not awake. Okay? So you, you have this adoption. You have the seed of the father in you. You are a child of the king. All right. So, the, the terminology for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What's the creation? That's everything. That's everything except us. We're not included in that general statement of creation. But everything else is. Okay? So, the, the terminologies, I looked at this. There was a, there was a Greek word here that I looked at. And it has this meaning to it, this anxious longing of the creation. It's like the creation is standing on his tippy toes with his neck pushed out as far as it can, trying to look over the fence 
to see the glory of the sons of God. Because when that takes place, their suffering's going to end. Creation's suffering is going to end. Creation was not supposed to be acting the way it does now. For the creation was subjected to futility. Would God create creation to be futile in its original form? No, he wouldn't have. He didn't. Remember, now I want you to imagine this. Imagine planting a garden, and the dirt's easy to till. And you plant the garden, and you water it, and the sun comes out, and no weeds show up. I want to know every time I planted a garden, why do the weeds grow and the thing I planted never, grow, never grows? I give up. I'm like, let somebody else weed the garden. I'll buy my vegetables at the store. Good chance of me growing them in the dirt I'm in. It's probably bad anyway, so... But for the, for the creation was subjected to futility. It has an incompleteness to it. It's not fulfilling its original intention. The, the, why is that? Well, look on. Not willingly. So the, so the creation didn't just willingly say, well, we don't want to succeed in what God has created us for. So what happened? Well, according to this, because of him who subjected it. Who's the him? It's God, right? See the, see the capital? Capital H. Pay attention with me. So God has subjected it to a curse. Why? Because of the sin of Adam. He cursed the ground. He said that it's going to be hard for you to get fruit out of the ground anymore. You're going to have to work twice, three, four, five times harder. Ten times harder in some circumstances. Imagine in the old days, they didn't have tractors. They had to do everything by hand or with an ox. I had never had the privilege of standing behind a, uh, an ox or a cow trying to, to uh, plow a field. No, thank you. Like I said, someone else could do that. I'll just pay the price. But, they're, so they're not willingly, but because of sin. And then look at this. Sin brought the curse from God, so now the entire creation is under the curse. And it's waiting anxiously for the sons of God to be revealed. You're waiting for someone you love to get saved. Creation's waiting right with you. They're waiting with you. So this is this. In hope, so even hope is used for the creation. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see that? Even creation is going to be freed up from corruption once the hope is fulfilled. Once the glory is taken place. So even the creation as it stands now, according to this passage, they're anxiously awaiting the completion so that they can once again go back to what they were intended to do originally. All right. Amen. So then, I want to take you to a byproduct of suffering. And that's in verse 22. So he comes off of the, they're trying, they, they cannot wait to get free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now, the way I understand it, that's now is still happening now. Right now, it's still happening. It's a present tense. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So when I look at that, I think, okay, so create, so creation groans. And if you look at the next verse, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit. So we ourselves groan in our suffering. So creation groans in suffering as though they were giving birth to a child. So there's some pains there, some birth pains that they're going through. You know what I like about that? I think he uses that in this way because there's about to be a birth. Those pains are coming, and that birth is going to be when our hope is fulfilled in glory, being glorified. Then they get a new beginning also. The creation does. So there's going to be a birth that will take place. But for right now, they're in the pains of childbirth. I've never been a mom, and you'll be glad to know that. <laughs> and I never had no babies, but I was present when a couple came into this world, and those birth pains are not fun. No. There might even be a little groaning that's going on. <laughs> Although my wife was a champion, I gotta say. If you groan, that's okay. My wife didn't do a lot of that. She did a lot of telling me what to do, which is kind of normal. <laughs> Pregnant or not, that's kind of a normal thing for us. So we know that there is going to be some pains. We know there's some groaning. But I want to I point this out. Not only this, but we ourselves are in a groaning way, having the first fruits of the Spirit. I want to tell you something. Groaning is not the same thing as grumbling. It's not the same thing as moaning and talking the blues when you're in a trial. You see, a lot of times we think, well, I'm suffering, so I'm going to grumble. The children of Israel kept saying they were <coughs> suffering. Yes, Wait, Lord, you're providing all this manna from the sky for us. You've parted the Red Sea for us. You did all these things for us, and you've promised us a land that you're taking us to. But where's the meat? That wasn't groaning in a suffering. That was grumbling in a suffering. It's different. This lady I talked about earlier who has the 28-year-old granddaughter who has stage 4 cancer. If anybody has a right to grumble, it would be her. Just humanistically. Wouldn't your natural thing, why God? And it's okay to say, why God there? I know you never question God, but in a way, I understand that's our human position that we're in. But to then grumble about it, well, why would you do this? Why? No, 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 no. See, there's a difference between groaning and grumbling. We're allowed to groan. When you're suffering, you're allowed. You ever been in a spot where things are so bad you can't even talk? I've been there. Me and my wife... 
We got some areas of suffering that we're going through even today. Deep hurts, deep suffering. And sometimes all you can do is groan. All you can do is, I, I can't find words anymore to pray. I only know to groan. When you're at the bedside of a dying loved one, sometimes words just don't do it. So sometimes just groaning. You ever just groan before the Lord? You ever just on your knees with him all by yourself in your prayer area, wherever you go, and just, Lord, I just, I'm not even sure what to ask you for, but I know we need help. I'm just going to groan before you. Well, the Holy Spirit later on groans for you. So I would say there's not any sin pattern here if you're groaning. There's a way to suffer. And sometimes suffering brings groaning. What does he say by we having the first fruits of the Spirit? What does that mean? It's the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. He actually indwells us. Paul's pointing this out to the Romans. You have the Holy Spirit. You're a first fruit of him. He's indwelling you. By him indwelling me, that means I can produce fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, see, because up until this time, no one had the Holy Spirit indwelling them. At least nobody besides Christ. I think Christ indwells them. He indwelt Christ. But in our circumstance, being saved at the time that we're saved, a member of the church, you automatically get the Holy Spirit who indwells you. So in a way, you're a first fruit of the Holy Spirit. And they definitely were because the church was just getting started. But also, you get to produce some fresh first fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of an evidence that you are really saved. You really are a child of God. If you're, not, if you're saying, claiming to be a child of God today and there's never any fruit in your life, that's troublesome. Because the God that saved you will produce fruit in you. And the production of that fruit gives you hope that someday you're going to fully be like Christ. Because when you're producing fruit according to the Holy Spirit, that's when you're being Christ-like. Amen? Amen? Amen. So even we ourselves grown within ourselves... And why do we groan? Well, we groan because sin is still present. And so suffering, suffering is a result of sin. It doesn't mean you're in sin. You got that, right? You understand that. You can be suffering and you've done nothing wrong before God. What about Job? What had he done before God? Did he not suffer? Of course he did. He had done nothing wrong in God's sight. But he still suffered. And did he grow? Oh yeah, he grew. So that's the result of it. We groan at sins because even though we are positionally seen as righteous and positionally seen as sanctified, we don't really have that yet. 
You know what I'm talking about positionally. When you got saved, God justified you like that. It was instantaneous. Justified through Jesus Christ. The price is paid. It's a done deal. You are justified. You received. You, Pastor talked about this a couple weeks ago when he talked about the imputation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ into your life. You're seen as righteous positionally. Because if we follow you around, we're going to find out you're really not that righteous sometimes. At 6 o'clock in the morning when you're on the freeway and that guy cuts you off, that may not be the most righteous act that we see right after that. But positionally, you're seen as righteous. Positionally, you're seen as already fully sanctified. And for all that, you can say amen to that. You need to say amen to that. So, positionally, I'm seen as Righteous, I'm seen as sanctified already. But am I? When you look at me today, am I? I am positionally, but my state isn't. Because I can still sin. I can still do things that aren't in the will of God. And so can you. So there's a groaning that takes place in us because sin is present. In our suffering, we can groan. But we can also groan in this particular way. I believe he's really talking about the groaning that takes place is the sin that's present. You know, Paul in chapter 7 says, why do I do the thing I don't want to do? There's a little bit of groaning about sin that's present, and it's rampant, and it's all around us. Have you ever felt the oppression of sin in your life? Of course you have. And the world is running crazy toward it. And we're supposed to be running the other way. And we're supposed to be trying to snatch as many out of the fire as we can. So we groan because we understand that our current fleshly state is capable of still sinning. So we still have a groaning that takes place. And look what we're waiting for. Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Well, now, wait a minute. Earlier, you remember when we read those early verses that weren't in the text on the wall behind me, the 16 and 17? What did he call us? Children. The Spirit's witnessing that we're the children of God. Well, wait a minute. We're waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons. I thought we were already children. Hmm. Positionally, again, we're sons. But I'm still stuck down here. I don't know about you. I don't get to go into the Father's room and and actually see him and talk with him. I do in prayer, but that, again, is a faith-based thing, right? So in waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons is a future tense thing. We're waiting eagerly. We're anticipating that. The full adoption as sons. The question for you is, how eager are you for it? How, how, how much are you looking forward to it? Because you know, in America, we kind of got it made. A lot of ways. You're trying to figure out what, what the new Mercedes looks like so you can buy two of them. Or, 
you know, they're building some new models over here. Maybe we should go check those out, honey. Because, you know, 3,000 square foot's not big enough for the two of us to live in. Maybe we need to go up another 500 or 1,000 square feet. That was, now, listen, if you got the money and can do that, go. I mean, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not meaning to pick on just that. But it's like, on the other side of that, though, that's the blessings of the Lord. And if you can do that, great. But on the other side of that, are you eagerly anticipating the full adoption that's due you? Are you eagerly waiting for that? What are you waiting for? This suffering is, suffering as a believer has a purpose to it. Amen. Suffering as a non-believer has another purpose, and they're completely polar opposites. One more thing I want to say about groaning. I said it in first service, and I kind of zipped past it because I'm trying to make sure I stay on time because that's about five minutes over the first service. I wasn't really over as the music people. <laughs> Praise God for them. But in this groaning, this is an interesting thing. I just read about this recently. Someone, I, who knows who did this, re actually recorded the sounds that the stars are making. And they actually produce like a musical sound. And some of creation does the same thing. Some of the other plant life and stuff. Someone in the offices showed me some plant and they, I don't know, I don't know who does these studies. <laughs> but I'm sure that our tax dollars are paying for them. <laughs> but so they, they had this deal where they recorded it. You know, now, the tones that come out are in minor keys. In music, when it's a minor, it's woeful. It's a groaning kind of sound. Now, for all you music people, you're going, wow, that's a trip. But it is, because creation is groaning. And, it, and in the minor keys, there's always a woeful groaning. A lot of the uh, old spiritual songs have minor keys, and it takes you somewhere emotionally that's in a groaning kind of a state. And so when you realize that, you go, wait a minute. They could have just looked at the Bible and found that they were groaning. They didn't have to go do all these special tests and spend a bunch of tax dollars. But I just thought that was an interesting thing. I wanted to throw it out there to you that, that it really is the truth. Creation is groaning in anticipation of the completion of the bride of Christ. This is what they're really waiting for. They're really waiting for the completion. You know what we're waiting for? I'm waiting for the creation of the body of Christ. I'm waiting for the bride to be complete. You know why? Because I ain't going to be here anymore after that. I'm anticipating. I'm eagerly waiting for my adoption to be completed. I am. The one thing that makes me want to stick around a little bit longer is to try and tell some other people about him. Amen? That's our job, you know. It's one of the things he asked us to do, commanded us to do. He didn't just ask. It's a commandment. So, we see that suffering is part of the Christian life. It's part of the hope of the future for you. Isn't that nice? Because you're going to suffer either way. Guess what? Saved or unsaved, you're going to die. You're going to bury loved ones. 
pastor said this to me about three weeks ago. He says, you know, um, if you live long enough, Larry, you and Lynn live long enough, and Christ tarries long enough, one of you is going to bury the other. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a real happy thing for me to be thinking on. But it's the cup that when you, when you are blessed enough to find someone that you love dearly that you want to spend your life with, it's part of the cup that you might have to drink. Yeah. So I think that um, in that, I'm eagerly awaiting, but I'm also wanting a whole bunch more people to come with us. All right. So what's the glory? What's that? In, where's the, what's it at in the passage? Well, I see it in 23. Verse 23. The latter part of it, we, we didn't read it, but I'm going to read the whole verse so we can get the flow of it. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown with our, within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body. This old body is going to get redeemed. And I'm going to get what? I'm going to get a new body. I'm going to get a glorified body. And guess what's going to happen? When I get the glorified body, the positional truths that I have are going to get married to that body. Come on. And when that takes place, Guess what? I can't sin anymore. I will have a right standing before God from now on. That body's not going to decay. That body's never going to get sick. There'll be no disease. I won't bury any loved ones. I won't have to hear about a 28-year-old girl with stage 4 cancer because cancer won't exist. I'm getting a new body. And inside of that, that new body's going to be glorified. Guess whose body it's going to be like? Like Jesus Christ's body. Man, if this group was Pentecostal, we'd be running the aisles right now. They'd be dancing. Willie, we couldn't keep you out of your seat. So there's the glory. That's the glory that's going to be revealed. That's why you don't have it right now. I'm stuck in this whole fleshly body. And you are too. You're stuck until he comes. But then, oh, then, I can't wait. Then the glory will be revealed. Then the glory, there's your hope. The hope is not in this body and not in what I buy here on this earth and not in my relationships even here on this earth. It's in that place with a new body where I'll be completely glorified and you'll be completely glorified if you've placed faith in Jesus Christ. And it's so, he's not talking about just the glorified body, but in that spot, you won't be able to sin anymore. Sin nature will be gone. It'll be conquered. It conquered at death, it died at death. When Christ conquered death, it's no longer existing after we leave this earth. We're resurrected with him into this new body, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. 
There's only three people that have ever walked in the face of this earth that could choose not to sin. Two of them chose sin, one of them didn't, and he's our Savior. Adam and Eve and Christ are the only ones who were born without sin yes, sir. and no sin nature to them. I can't wait, but even being saved, even getting saved, before I was saved, I acted according to what? My nature. Yes, Pastor talked about this. I acted according to the nature that I had. What was that nature? It was a sin nature. So I, all you new mothers, sorry about this. I think it's in Psalms where he says, all children are liars from the womb. Well, I don't like telling new moms that, but it's true. They're liars from the womb. You're, you're born into sin. You're a sinner. And you, until you met Christ, you had no choice but to choose the wrong things. And they weren't necessarily evil things. I'm not saying you're out murdering people. But they were things that weren't in the will of God. So, what's all this got to do with hope? Well, there's my hope. My hope is I'm going to get a glorified body someday. So what does he say about hope? For in hope we have been saved. Yes, sir. Faith was given to me that I would accept Christ, and now I have hope that I have an eternal life with him. Amen. I have hope I have eternal life. You have hope that you have eternal life. You didn't used to have that hope, but now you do. Amen. Yes, sir. The reality is you have eternal life. Can you say right now that you have eternal life 100% unequivocally I can say I have eternal life? Yes, I can. Why? Because the Word of God says it. Am I experiencing it right now? Nope. But positionally, I'm going to have it forever. Right? When I leave this world, I'm going with Him for eternity. Now, eternity is forever and it's a long, long time. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Yes, sir. Guess what? I'm getting a new body. That's my hope. hope. I'm going to get a new glorified body. Right. I know you find it hard to believe I'd want to leave this body behind, but I do. <laughs> the groaning that goes on inside this body every morning when I try and get out of bed, I like to get rid of that. And some of you are older than me, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, In this life, we're going to witness the actual sanctification of the saved individual. When you get the new body, you're going to actually be completely sanctified at that point. Well, I, that's pretty good stuff to me. Real good stuff to me. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Are you waiting eagerly for it? Are you waiting eagerly for it? When you hear a sermon like this says all the suffering we got to go through and the groaning that takes place in it, you're going, I want my new body. Yes, it makes you a little more eager for the new body. If you're not one of the ones suffering, you may not be as eager. But when you got aches and pains, I'm telling you, and God has a wonderful way of getting us prepared to leave this world. Just makes us miserable in it. But listen to this other thing that Paul says over in Philippians 1 verse 6. This kind of solidifies that whole thought. 
For I am confident of this very thing. I am confident of this very thing. You know what? I, I say that with Paul. I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What's that day? That's when he comes back to get his bride. And then I'm going to be perfected. And you're going to be perfected. That's the hope. That's the hope of the rescue. It says it all through Scripture. And since God is incapable of lying, and salvation and glorification is completed, and when that is completed, it's his work that's going to be completed. He said he's going to do it. He said it there in that passage. He's going to do it. He also said he was able to prevent me fault, present me faultless. And you know, that's got to be his work because I certainly can't say I could be faultless. He can keep me from falling and present you faultless. Wow. Incredible stuff. So in conclusion, what keeps our perseverance strong? What keeps our hope bright? It's the ministry of the Spirit of God in us that keeps all that stuff in, in context. We are the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's been given to us as a deposit, as a deposit but we're the first fruit of his ministry even. He's the one leading us. He's the one confirming your adoption. He's the one earlier that we read about that says he testifies about our that we are the children of God. He's the one testifying to our own spirit letting us know that we are children of God. Listen. Listen, believers. Listen, people. If you're here this morning and you come every week to Valley and you give in the offerings and you might even serve on one of our teams, you might even fool the elders and deacons on an interview and be a member. But is the Spirit of God lining up with your spirit to let you know that you're a child of God? If, because you know what? You can, you can play us. You can play the pastors. You can, you can even raise your hand during the song service. It don't mean you're saved. It doesn't mean you've accepted him fully. But somehow he witnesses within our spirit to let us know we are his children. If he's not doing that in you, then you're not his child today. And my concern is huge for you. I could care less if you're a member of this church. I want you to be a member of his family. So in that, I just would challenge you. Don't settle for the fact that you think you're saved. Please don't settle for that. Know that you're saved. He, he says in 1 John, these things I write you that you may know that you're saved. Not you're guessing. And coming here doesn't save you. Any more than hanging out in a bar saves you. I love that line that says, just because you go in the garage doesn't make you a car. 
Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Does not make you a child of God. The hope that we're talking about, you don't have if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ. The one who, being very God, did not count it something worthy of holding on to so that he could come on and take flesh. Imagine the God of the universe. He created everything. Jesus Christ is the one who created. So he created the very men that crucified him. On your behalf, on my behalf. He who knew no sin took on sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what you need to leave here today knowing. Not guessing, knowing that. So that you can have hope and that you can be one of the rescued. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the proof that we're your children when we suffer on behalf of you. Sometimes we got to suffer at the job because people know we're a Christian and they want to laugh at us. And Oh Lord, what small suffering that is compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you give us hope. You've planted hope within our framework. But Lord, if someone's here today and they're not sure, they can't say 100% that the Holy Spirit is indwelling me and revealing to me that I'm his, a child of the King. If they can't say that, oh Lord, don't let them leave here today without getting that figured out. Or even if they do leave here, Lord, oh, that they would cry out to you. They don't have to come see me. They just got to talk to you. Oh, would you let them do that? Thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you for the glory that's coming. I already know I'm a child of the king, but one day I'm going to see you face to face. One day I'm going to get to see the wounds that you took on the behalf of your people. And I might even be like Thomas. I might even want to touch them. I believe in you without seeing them, but I would love to see them. I'm anxious to see you, Lord. I'm eagerly awaiting the new body that you have. Because even in glorifying us, you receive all the glory. But we anxiously await it. Please, Lord, deal with the hearts of your people as only your word of God can do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.